Hello and welcome. This is Colleen O'Grady, the host of the Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast. This is a gathering place for moms to be encouraged, nurtured, and inspired. Also, you'll learn the latest in teen research and trends and get practical parenting tips. You really can improve your relationship with your teen and enjoy the teenage years. Welcome back, everybody. This is the 37th episode of Power Your Parenting Moms with Teen podcast, and I'm glad you're back. And today, we are going to talk about the maturity gap. I think what's challenging and perplexing about parenting is that your child and teenager is a moving target. Maybe better to say a growing target. You feel like you finally have this one stage of life under control, and then your child grows out of it, and you're up against the next stage, which has new dynamics to figure out and its own set of perils. Every time you turn a corner, it's a totally new terrain to figure out. You finally have elementary school down, and then they are off to middle school. You finally have middle school down, and then they are off to high school. And then your kids are wanting to get their driver's permit, and on it goes. Add to this moving or growing target another factor that can completely throw parents off balance and is the source of much of our frustration, and this is the maturity gap. Maturity gap in adolescence has been studied by many neuroscientists. They look at the maturity gap through the lens of the teenage brain development. I'm going to broaden the definition of maturity gap and will include some interesting studies about the brain. When I'm talking about the maturity gap, here's what I mean. All the different facets of your teen are not growing at the same time together. Because of this, there is a maturity gap between the different parts. Some areas of your teen may seem more adult-like, and you can feel like your teen is maturing and feel like you can relax as a parent. Then you're thrown off by another part of your teen that rises up that is so immature. Early adolescence can start as early as eight or nine, and this usually surprises parents because we think of the teenage years more like middle school and the high school years. My daughter was an early bloomer. She had a huge growth spurt starting at eight. She had her first period at eight years old, and thank God she did not have another period till a year later, but then she started having consistent periods by the time she was nine. Puberty was in full bloom, and by the age of 10, she had reached my height of 5'6", and by the time she was 11, she reached her final height of 5'9", and she was three inches taller than me and literally looked down at me. In many ways, her exterior body had transformed into a woman's body by the time she was 11. This is a very difficult time for my daughter because she was a head taller or more than her friends. She had fully developed breasts when her friends had to fake a training bra. Another reason this was a difficult time for my daughter was that she was still a little girl now in a woman's body. Her emotions and cognitive abilities and social maturity were not growing at the same pace. If her life was a race, it's like her physical growth was a few laps ahead of her emotional intelligence and social maturity. 
In contrast, some of her friends looked like they were seven and yet were ahead of my daughter in their social maturity. These discrepancies and maturity gaps are important to be aware of. If you are aware of them and know it's normal, it will save you a lot of stress and anguish, and it can help you know how to parent more effectively. By the time your teens are in middle school, you really see the huge inconsistencies between the kids in the same class. You see that with the physical differences between the boys and girls, and you see that with girls. Girls in 7th and 8th grade can be very childlike, and then other girls, you say, she's 12 going on 24, meaning that her physical body looks like an adult body, and she can start to go guy crazy. Kids in middle school seem to have a stuffed animal in one hand and a jewel in the other. In other words, there's a tug-of-war between childhood and the alluring temptations of the adolescent culture. And this is a hard time for parents. You think of your middle school teen as young and innocent. You give them a phone, and they quickly are being bombarded by the teen culture. Videos, Snapchat, FaceTime, Instagram, and Netflix. You either look at their childlike body and think, you have time before you have to gear up for the trials of the teenage years, or you look at her more adult body and think she is smarter than she is because she looks older. These middle school kids are very naive and vulnerable in these grown-up bodies. They would do anything to have a tribe and to belong. They would do anything to have attention from that boy or whoever their crush is. And they don't have that social, emotional, and even intellectual or street smarts to protect themselves. They start vaping and get addicted to nicotine. Where I see our girls most vulnerable is at nighttime, when they are alone with their iPhones, when the parents are asleep in their bed. They start texting each other, and nothing good comes from texting late at night. Friends dump their heavy emotions on each other, their problems. Romantic relationships flare up, and many think they can do anything online, and it's okay because it's not in person. And I've heard that several times from these kids. Boys send pictures of their private parts and pressure girls to send pictures of their breasts. My private practice has seen many middle school girls who were confused, threatened, and bullied to send these boys pictures that, of course, were promised to be kept secret, only to be sent across the school district. Girls are most vulnerable to send these pictures in middle school because of where they are cognitively. They are easily manipulated by the older boys. By the time they make it to high school, they have more maturity to say no. These middle school girls are not street smart, so to speak. They are so desperate for attention and popularity that they are easily manipulated and conned by these boys. And even if they are not talking to a boy, these young teens are lured by watching popular series on Netflix. A few years ago, many moms were shocked to find that their sixth-grade girls had already watched the Netflix series 13 Reasons Why before the parents had even known about it. Middle school teens do not have the maturity to manage their iPhones or digital world at night or even the day without supervision and limits. One reason that these young teens are so vulnerable is because of their cognitive abilities. 
They start off the middle school years with concrete thinking, which has been described as thinking on the surface. What you see on the surface is what you mean. But by the time they make it into high school, they have developed abstract thinking, which uses more logic and sees things under the surface. They don't take things at face value. They have the ability to see the bigger picture and analyze the situations. They are not as easily deceived. The brain is under major remodeling in the teenage years, up through the age 25. Scientists have used this metaphor to describe the teenage brain. If the teenage brain was a car, its gas pedal is fully developed, but the brakes are faulty and inconsistent. The lower brain, with its reward systems and drive for risk, euphoria, and pleasure, are driven by the dopamine system. Dopamine levels have not leveled out, and so when a teen does a risky behavior, it feels amazing and is worth repeating, thus the drive for the dopamine reward. The higher brain and the undeveloped prefrontal cortex are the brakes. This includes our values, morality, seeing the big picture, weighing the consequences of our behavior, cause and effect, empathy, and our spirituality. Here's an example. When a girl has a chance to sneak out and see the boy she really likes, the higher brain, the voice of reason, is like a faint whisper saying, you'll get in trouble and you will put yourself in danger. And yet the dopamine driver is like that loud rock music telling her, go, it's going to be epic. I'm going to read a story from chapter seven in Dial Down the Drama. The chapter is called, Why Your Daughter is Hardwired for Drama and Why It's Not Personal. And this is actually a true story, and I've just changed the names. So, it was Sunday morning. Charlotte let her 17-year-old daughter, Chloe, sleep in while she went to church. When she came home, she found Chloe in the kitchen, standing on top of a chair, jumping up and down and shrieking with excitement. I just got a ticket to go with my friends to a private party with Lady Gaga in New York City tonight. I don't care what you're saying. I'm going. Charlotte said she wouldn't pay for a plane ticket and went outside to give Chloe some space. When she walked back in, her daughter was on the computer looking up flights for New York and said, I have enough money for a one-way ticket to New York City and I'm going. Charlotte took Chloe's computer and closed it. Outraged, Chloe yelled, Then I'll buy a ticket at the airport. You are not going to ruin my life. She then ran out of the house barefoot and took off in her car. Charlotte panicked. She hoped her daughter wouldn't do anything stupid, but she couldn't count on it. She got on the computer and transferred $500 from her daughter's account back into her own account, leaving only $3. But then she got a text from her daughter saying, I bought a one-way ticket. Goodbye. Charlotte knew her daughter was bluffing, but it still freaked her out. She texted Chloe and told her to come home right now. Fifteen minutes later, Chloe came home. Charlotte asked, What were you thinking? You would have missed school. You had no money to fly home, catch a taxi, or buy food. Where were you planning on staying? I saw Charlotte in my office the following week. 
She was still reeling from that experience with Chloe. What's wrong with her, she asked me. How could she make good grades in school, hold down a part-time job, and be this stupid? How could she do this to me? I told Charlotte. Chloe is not crazy or stupid, I told her, but like all teens, she's hardwired for drama. Teens are a quadruple threat for drama with their fluctuating hormones, undeveloped prefrontal cortex, dominant limbic system, and dopamine driver. So in a teenage brain, going to the Big Apple on a one-way ticket with no money sounds like an awesome idea. This is why Chloe needs you to step in and put the brakes on. The maturity gap confuses parents during the teenage years. Boys and girls have their adult bodies. They look like adults. They are learning things in high school that we didn't learn till college. When they speak, we can tell their cognitive abilities have developed into abstract thinking. Now they start to argue more and they aren't just having temper tantrums, which you saw with your young child and middle schooler. Now they are having somewhat logical arguments. Besides their physical bodies being mature, it appears that their intellectual abilities have matured. In fact, you might think, and for sure, the teen thinks that they're smarter than you in some areas. This is because what kids are learning in high school is more advanced than when you or I were in high school. Even if your teen is in all accelerated classes and you see their amazing intellectual abilities and they look like adults, and you might even be tempted to think they are like adults. They are often areas of the teenager that are still lagging behind developmentally. You know this is true every time that you have that, what was my teen thinking moment. That's where you see your teen sabotage their success, make those rash decisions, have those friend and love dramas. They forget about a huge assignment for school. They want to quit football mid-season. They sneak out of your house. You find the weed in the front drawer. Your innocent daughter drives home drunk, past curfew, yells at you. They flunk a class in the fall of their junior year, which brings their grade point average down significantly. The maturity gap is heightened their senior year in high school. The pressure's on. You know this could be the last year that they'll live at home. There are college applications to fill out. The stakes feel higher for both parents and teens. One thing that parents are starting to do is an incognito, sometimes unconscious audit of their seniors' behavior. And what's the purpose of this audit? It's to answer the question, are they ready to go to college? And you think, well, he's making good grades. Maybe he is ready to go to college. But if they have a major breakup and they are in a horrible mood and are crumpled on the floor and aren't motivated to write their college essays, the hundredth time you've reminded them, you think, well, maybe she is not ready to go to college. If your teen's room is disgusting, clothes are piled high, there's food on the floor and empty glasses and trash, papers are scattered all over the place, wet towels, blood-stained underwear on the floor, and you think, how can she go to college if she's not responsible enough to clean her room? Over the years, I've heard a long list of reasons why moms think their teens are not ready to go to college. If I have to keep pushing him to write his essay, then he is not ready to go to college. How can she go to college when she can't even manage her money? How can he go to college if he can't respect my curfew? 
How can she go to college if she doesn't know how to use a phone and only texts? How can he go to college if all he does is play video games? And then you think, well, maybe they are ready to go to college because you are ready for them to get out of the house. You are so done with the drama. The truth is, is that I think one of the huge reasons it's hard for parents to imagine their kids going to college is that they are sending their child to college as a work in progress. In other words, there still is a maturity gap. And though your teen has a grown-up body, and intellectually they are amazing, and socially they have a great group of friends, the teenage brain is still undeveloped. Here's the good news and bad news. Your son and daughter's teenage brain is far more developed than it was when it was 11. But the bad news is it's still not finished. So here's another metaphor. When your child was 10 or 11, it's like their brain is a house that needs to have major remodeling. Now by the time they are 17 or 18, many of the rooms have been remodeled and look finished, but there are still some important things that need to be done in the house. In other words, the teenage brain has made lots of progress, but it's still a work in progress. When your kids are 18, they think they can conquer the world. They have set their sights on college and being on their own. And there are many reasons it's hard to let your senior go. For one, you'll miss them terribly. But what's really hard for moms is that we know exactly where our teens are still immature. We know their vulnerabilities and weaknesses. We know where they struggle, and yet we are sending this work in progress out into the world not fully cooked. I think every parent hopes that we have 100% assurance that our teens are mature enough for college or the next step. Many are, but some may not be, even if they have that perfect grade point average. And this can cause moms a lot of stress and a lot of worry. And yet we think we shouldn't worry about it because they're 18. And this is what every other senior does, so we can be hard on ourselves and not listen to our intuition. Think about this. Why do most rental car companies only allow 25 and older to rent cars, even when 18 is considered an adult? What do they know that we don't know? Answer? Drivers under 25 statistically get into more auto accidents than other age groups. My point isn't to stress you out, but to know if you're seeing immaturity in your 18-year-old It's because they are still immature, and they will be well into their 20s. I found this article by Dr. Lawrence T. White. Is the maturity gap a psychological universal? New study finds logical reasoning precedes impulse control in most countries. Last month, an international team of researchers published an impressive study that examined the so-called maturity gap in 11 nations. The maturity gap refers to the discrepancy between an individual's cognitive maturity and emotional maturity. Studies by developmental psychologists over the past 25 years have identified a general principle. Different human abilities develop at different rates and reach their highest point of development at different ages. For example, the ability to reason in a logical manner increases dramatically from childhood to age 16 or 17 and then levels off, 
the ability to control one's impulses, however, develops more slowly and over a longer period of time. In fact, most people aren't fully capable of emotional restraint until their mid or late 20s. The study published last month sought to determine if the maturity gap is a psychological, universal, or a culturally variable phenomenon. In other words, can this pattern, a significant discrepancy between an adolescent's cognitive maturity and emotional maturity, be observed everywhere? Or does the phenomenon manifest itself differently or not at all in some countries and cultures? In some, the maturity gap appears to be a psychological universal around the world. Young people reach adult levels of logical reasoning fairly quickly, usually by age 16. These same individuals, however, are not as mature as older adults when it comes to controlling their impulses, managing their emotions, and resisting peer pressure. And moms, this is probably not a huge surprise to you. So when your teen is 16 plus, those early 20s, their cognitive abilities are adult-like, but their impulse control develops or emotional maturity develops much more slowly. This is because that lower brain is more dominant in the 18 to 25-year-old range. Top-down control, which means that the higher brain, the cortical regions of the brain are more in charge than the impulsive and effective parts of the brain, it won't be fully matured till the late 20s. So how can understanding the maturity gap be helpful? What are the practical applications from this? I think if parents can understand the maturity gap, it will help you not take things so personally with your teen. Your teens are not being immature to torture you or ruin your life. If they are impulsive and are emotionally immature, you are not a failure as a parent. This is normal. It doesn't mean that your teen is going to end up homeless or dead or be a complete failure or wherever those terrible places your imagination takes you. They are still growing and maturing. And here's a secret. All those other teens that look so perfect on the outside, they are immature too. And what also is normal is that different human abilities develop at different rates and reach their highest point of development at different ages. Your teen may be more or less mature than their friends, so when we do that compare game, we all lose. Your teen is running his race in his own lane, and what's important is not to compare him to others. Your teen is still emotionally immature, especially when it comes to controlling his impulses, managing his emotions, and resisting peer pressure. Yes, you're going to see maturity in these areas, but don't be so surprised when you see the immaturity. I'm definitely not saying condone their immaturity, but knowing where they are immature can greatly impact your parenting because it informs where you need to parent and intervene and discipline. Parents, we are our teens plus the early 20-year-olds' prefrontal cortex when their prefrontal cortex hasn't kicked in. If our teens and college kids get off track or they get stuck or they're in a bad place, 
If their impulses impact their decision-making and behavior, it's time to step in or get them help. When they are doing well, we can back off. But we want to be aware and alert that there's more going on than on the surface. And what I mean by the surface is, oh, well, she's making good grades, so she's fine. We want to pay attention to their hearts. And even in the 20s, we might have to step back in and help them with different areas of adulting. I've seen plenty of college kids in my private practice who needed extra help because they developed an eating disorder, they were date raped, they had trouble with substance abuse, anxiety, depression, had gone through a bad breakup. And then plenty of teens who just stopped going to class and the parents didn't know about it till the year was over. So when you know that much of this behavior still comes from that emotional immaturity in the brain, that can actually give you hope and not just think that you have a terrible kid. So hang in there. Your teens are still growing and maturing, and you can help them see their blind spots and support them to take the best next step for their life. Hey, everybody, this concludes this week's episode of Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast. I have some other great resources for you. You can head over to ColleenOGrady.com. That has two L's and two E's. You can sign up for my Dial Down the Drama triple pack. It's absolutely free. You get a copy of my free ebook, Seven Ways to Help Your Daughter and Yourself, a free chapter from my best-selling and award-winning book, Dial Down the Drama, Reducing Conflict and Reconnecting with Your Teenage Daughter, a guide for mothers everywhere. And you get a free subscription to my weekly easing. I always have a helpful article for you. If you're ready to pick up your copy of Dow Down the Drama, you can find it on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. For daily encouragement, follow me on Instagram or Facebook at Colleen O'Grady Dow Down the Drama. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.